Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the very first episode of Hashtag RealPod. Today's guest is Caitlin Ohashi. She is one of the most amazing, athletic, and accomplished female college athletes of all time. She's a six-time gymnastics All-American, number one in the nation on the floor, a four-year USA national team member, and you probably know her from her perfect 10 routine that went viral on Instagram and Twitter. Yes, she was that girl. And on top of that, she spends her spare time advocating for female athlete body image and eating disorders on her raw and inspiring blog, Behind the Madness. I absolutely love this girl and everything she stands for, and we had such a great conversation. To give you a quick preview of what's in store, we talked about the pressures she experienced as a 12-year-old Olympic prospect, how she mentally dealt with an almost career-ending injury, her close connection with beloved coach Miss Val, and then we finished discussing how Caitlin achieved self-love and body acceptance despite years of challenge. I can't wait for y'all to hear this episode. Please keep listening and help me welcome Caitlin Ohashi. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We've been chit-chatting so much since I got here that now we're like, okay, what do we say now? <laughs> um, I'm so excited to have a conversation with you today because there aren't a lot, I think, of female athletes who are being really candid about the things that um, both of us are. And when I first actually saw your Perfect 10 routine, I freaked out and I was like, this girl's so sick. I look you up on Instagram and then it says like, follow back. And I was like, no way. I was like, this girl's following me. And then I DM'd you and then here we are. Yes. Okay. I thought, did you comment on the mirror shattering photo of mine? Yeah, I did. Because I feel like that's how I may have found you. And I clicked and you had like body positive stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. Like follow back. <laughs> Friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Or follow. So, really. Yeah. That photo series you did was so cool where you got the girls up and you took the pictures of them just standing with their raw bodies. Just no edit. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I actually got a decent amount of flack for them because. Really? Like, Why? Um, I don't typically ever comment back to people but I felt like I needed to educate some people. So one person was like, are you saying that women have to be masculine because they were holding gloves and, or they had construction gloves and hammers. And so we had to portray our women more masculine. People to are be equal. always trying to find something wrong with everything. And then someone else was like, it's so sad that women are man- manipulated into thinking that strength comes with showing skin. And I was like, that's not the message so because the it point. goes with a body shaming issue or poem. So why would I put them in sweatpants or something like that? Like, no, that's the purpose of the photo. And thank God we have the freedom to show our skin and still be strong. How often will you 
like not clap back, but will you invest your time in responding? Because I saw a hate comment on my TED talk the other day. Someone was like, her voice is so annoying. I can't listen. And they, they X'd out. And I was like, that is so, I'm like kind of person where if I see a mean comment, I'm like, oh my God, can I call this person? And like, what did I do to offend them? Um, and so I, and then I was like, I'm going to respond. And then I said, no, I'm not going to waste my time on this. Yeah. So I feel like because I've been going through this since I was probably like 12, you just realize everything's energy. And so you can allow it to affect you negatively or positively or just let it run by you. And that's what I typically choose to do unless it's something that I'm like extremely passionate about. Like if it's anything that has to do with me, I try to be set with who I am that I'm like, okay, this person obviously like just needs a hug. And that's the only thing I wish I could do, like reach my arms through the phone and like grab them and be like, you you just need love. (laughs) That's the thing I've been learning is when girls are mean or boys are cruel, it's, it's because they're mean to themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, because hurt people hurt people. And that was one of the quotes I saw that I thought was so powerful. And when a girl is kind of mean or catty, and if, I don't know if you, do you feel like on the gymnastics team, you guys seem so supportive. I know I tagged you in that video with your team dancing behind you. I mean, does it get competitive or do you feel like you have like a good squad? Cause I know on my team, it was competitive. I mean, people wanted spots and some people weren't as supportive, like competing. Like I've had girls who were the same spot as me and we're like best friends and we both want each other to succeed. And then I've had other situations where the person I'm competing with, uh, you know, uh, like intently wants me to fail. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I would say, honestly, I have a pretty good squad or like really good squad because at the end of the day, as much as we want a spot, we want the team's success. Mm -hmm. So we try to always think that in the back of our head, like, okay, if I'm not in this lineup, it's for the best of for the team. So with that being said, I mean, it obviously gets competitive and emotional, but like we all are really supportive. I bet it was different though when you were 12 on the national team. I mean, that has to be, those are families involved. They're like, we don't care about the team. We want our girl on the podium. (laughs) National team is different because it's really, really individualized. So there is no team in that sense besides like US team. But even then it's like, I couldn't even cheer for the girl standing right next to me. Why is that? I would get in trouble. And that's by who? Just like my, my coach. Oh, like, I you're unfocused, blah, blah, blah. This is why you fell. I'm like, oh, that's not, yeah. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. So, just little things like that um, created a more individual atmosphere. I don't think we ever really were like <gasps> out for blood with each other. Right. Just that culture sounds so intense. So the fact that you said if you were laughing, he would think you weren't focused. I've had coaches who think, you know, you have to do the same thing before every single game or, you know, you're not going to be in the right rhythm. And then I've had other coaches that that wasn't an emphasis. And it's weird because I look at some of my best games and some of them were games that my prep was really intent. And then others are games where I was watching like Bo Burnham stand up comedy right before to like calm the anxiety. And when watching you perform, you seem super like, like you, you're at a concert or something. I mean, you're, you're so infectious in your energy. So, I mean, do you have a routine? Cause it sounds like you were raised with a coach that emphasized that. I don't think I necessarily have a routine or anything like that. My coach was actually told one time that she, maybe if your girls were more serious, they would do better. The UCLA coach? Yeah. Aren't you guys the best in the country every single year? Um, we only we won last year. The year before that, we came in like fifth or something. And the year before that, it was sixth. 
I don't know. But um, she looked back and she reflected and she was like, she thought about it and she's like, no, that's not true at all because our best athletes are the ones that are having the most fun. So she never takes that away from any of us. I would say I'll have fun, but like right when I stand in the corner, you can see my face. I just zone in and dial in. I saw that in the interview today when I was like looking some stuff up on you and that was so sick because I didn't notice it the first time I watched your Perfect 10 routine and then the second time I was like, oh snap, that smile fades like right before the pass. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean the stuff that I do isn't hard or isn't easy. Like my first pass, no one in college gymnastics is doing that pass. Like I had to add it into the code of points. That's so, so legendary. Dude, <laughs> do you just go to bed at night? Like, I, I'm done. Like, I could end life here. <laughs> I just knew that because of my senior year, I was like, I have to go out with a bang. Yeah. And that's my whole goal of this what year. What happens? You, like, call up the judge and you're like, hi, um, can you add this to the list? Because I'm going to exceed <laughs> what, what your current scale is. So it existed in 92 Olympics, and then it got taken out after that. So we sent in a video to... I don't know how it necessarily works. I let the coaches take care of that, but they took a video, sent it in, and just had it re-added. That's so cool. There's, like, so much freedom to just kind of be yourself. But when you talk about when you were younger, it's it's crazy because when you're at 12 or 13, I feel like everything is so influential, and the way you're being instructed to to perform or to prep, it's almost like you don't have a chance to view a different way. You know, now that we're adults in college, our, my coach can say something and I can I can hear it and I can consider it, but then I know what's best for me. But when you're 12, you don't really know you even have that choice. That's what's so crazy about it because I felt like we were so suppressed in that environment and we didn't know who we were. We didn't understand things because we were never explained things. We were just told this is how it goes. And we never questioned it because when you're told something, you typically believe it at that age. So coming to college, I think it took a while for me to really figure out what I needed as a person to succeed. And I kind of what on the polar opposite side. So I was like really, really hyper at competitions and I had to listen to like hype music before. And now I would say I've figured it out pretty well to where I have a good mixture of fun and seriousness. And I kind of pull myself back when I need to right before I go. And I listen to like really, really calm music and just, yeah, it's great when you get to find yourself. When I first got to college, I felt like I was just kind of I had to go along with the way it had been before. And I'm a super energetic, hyper person. And I almost felt like that was wrong. And like I had to tone it down to, I don't know, win or to be a part of the team culture that was, you know, wanted. And that would cause me like extra anxiety because I was like, wait, if I can't be my normal self, like who am I supposed to be? And then when I was starting to be myself, I would freak out like, should I be quieter? Um, So I totally know what you're saying. But I fortunately didn't have to deal with it at such a young age. But when you talk about being on the national team at 12 or 13, you were with like Gabby Douglas and those girls. And then unfortunately you suffered an injury, which prevented you from kind of going along with them to the Olympics. I mean, that's pretty severe. Like I, when people go through injuries that are almost career ending, what's the mindset change like when you're growing up thinking I'm going to be on the Olympics 
And then it has to change to, I'm going to win a national championship, which is still insane. But coming from your background, how did you approach that? So at first, when I was first told I may never do gymnastics again, it was like a weight had been lifted off and it was really leaving. Why is that? I had been miserable for so long and so unhappy and felt so little where I was that I just never wanted to put on a leotard again. I never wanted to walk in and be told what to do and how to do it and that I wasn't good enough. So it was... It was refreshing hearing, but then you realize that that's all I've ever known. Gymnastics is literally the only thing I did since I was three years old. Like I wasn't even in school anymore. So then it's an all-time low that I hit, and you're just like trying to figure out who you are, what you actually like, and I knew I didn't like myself at that point. So that was probably the hardest part, and then I started going to public school, got involved with like people that I allowed into my life because I thought that's what I deserved. and Like people who weren't good for you? Yeah, not at all. And I feel like now I would say it's crazy how timing's like everything and like how you really feel about yourself attracts similar people and who you allow in your circle. And I feel like I've never had a stronger circle in my life. But the mental stuff that I went through, I had to go to a psychologist. I started getting influenced to do things that were like self-harming. And it wasn't until probably I came here, I got hit another low point and finally was like, okay, like I need. When you first came to UCLA, you felt yeah. like you were still low? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm thinking, the way you're explaining it, it's almost like you would think it would be the end of the world. Oh my gosh, I can't accomplish my dream. But for you, you're like, you know, thank God this is a relief. And then almost the chance to play it at still a high level, but not as severe as Olympics. It's like kind of like a, a rebirth, a way for you to do it competitively, but not with the pressure. What was the slump when you first got here? I, I was trying to take out all of my hatred from my past coaches on my new ones mm. and trying to rebel against everything that they had told me because I was trying to take ownership of my life and I had to do it this certain way. And this is Miss Val, the same coach. Yeah. And like, I felt, I realized my going into my sophomore year that a lot of the things that I was doing were worse for me in the long run. So I figured out that I had to make changes and do a lot of different things. And that's kind of how it was too. When I went, when I was done with like the Olympic hopeful track, I went through a phase where I was like, all right, I need to reset all my goals and kind of figure out what my next step is if I want to continue gymnastics. And I was going to the doctor and getting MRIs like every couple weeks. I was kind of in the gym, but too ashamed really to be in the gym frequently. Why ashamed? I felt less than because it's like here I was on top of the world and then I kind of just like crash and burn and like disappear And now I put on like 30 pounds since I had been done. I felt like people, I could literally feel stares like across the gym and just judgmental ones. I mean, I think with both of our sports, we probably have the most, well, swimming, swimming's there too, revealing outfits though. I mean, spandex tight. Um, You literally can't escape it. If you feel bad about yourself, there's no like second uniform. There's no option. You have to do it. And there's already enough like going on in our heads, right? When we have to compete and then to also be thinking about like insecurities and not feeling confident 
and yeah, judgment of others. I mean, do you have high school meets for in gymnastics? Mm-hmm. So then how did you, cause I was thinking high school volleyball. I mean, when high school boys came to the games, I was like freaking out because I was so nervous. Like I, you feel like you're so exposed. I was yeah. just always self-conscious. Um, so then how did you get recruited if you weren't playing high school? There's like JO's national team and then college. So JO's are basically level like three to 10 and level 10s are the ones that go to college most of the time. That's kind of like the college track if you're in JO's. So the coaches come to like meets and like especially nationals for those levels and just scout. And they'll come into the gym as well and just kind of pick and see what who they like. Cool. So you're not even on a team. You're just training on your own and then going to these meets and performing? We, ha- we have a... Like a club? A club team, yeah. And did you always know you wanted to go to UCLA? I was going to go pro. So I wasn't looking at colleges. And most freshmen gymna- or f- gymnasts commit when they're freshmen, which is absolutely absurd to me because it's like, how would you even know what you're right. looking for, what you want? And then if I've learned anything is anything can happen within those four years. So it's like you get committed and then what if the gymnast burns out and then you're like, Oh shoot. Like we signed her when she was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so I wasn't even thinking about college until I got injured. And that's kind of when I was like, okay, what am I going to do next? It's like college gymnastics, Madison Koshin, who's now my teammate and was my teammate back Mm -hmm. in Texas was like, Miss Val this, Miss Val that, UCLA this, UCLA that. I had no idea what college was. I just kept hearing those names. So I was like, I feel like the best gymnasts go to UCLA. I mean, looking at the roster, it's all familiar faces. Yeah, we do definitely have a lot of star athletes, like Olympians and big national team names. All the Trojans listening are like, why is Victoria <laughs> hyping up the Bruins right now? <laughs> but no, your team is dope. Thank you. So I was watching interview this morning with Miss Val and she brought up something I think about the slump she said you walked into her office and said I don't want to be great anymore was this when you were feeling down at UCLA yeah Yeah, definitely I think I just I remember we were talking with our sports psychologist during a team meeting and he was like what is our anchor like what is holding us back from greatness and it was the fact that I literally just had no drive to be great because what I associated with greatness was also misery and I just didn't want to be held to that standard and in that mind space. And at the time, did you feel like that was okay? Because I think the conversation around mental health and athletes is getting better. It's I've seen a complete 180 since my freshman year of just the athletes I've seen talking about mental health and I think her name is Gracie Gold, the ice skater who had to stay back in the Olympics because of mental health issues. Just a lot of people who are at the top who feel that way. Like the pressure is so insane. They don't even want to be a part of it. Yeah. I think this generation has definitely become more vocal. I feel like it's almost harder for gen- like older generations to be like, what is, what is mental health? Like they, they don't fully get it yet. So I feel like that's what also makes it difficult. But once like I think our generation's at the top and we'll be like so supportive we'll so and like, under- yes, like exactly. you guys have practice once a week yeah. the other days we're going to the beach <laughs> I brought everyone ice cream <laughs> that would Honestly. be so cool um so I was reading your blog and the one that I really loved was the journal entries you had entered from like 2010 and you wrote those when you were super young and I 
honestly got chills reading some of them because you said you had cried yourself to sleep a few nights. One of them said you weren't allowed to train if you didn't weigh a certain amount. How did you get through that? Ugh. Um, yeah, most of the time I cried. I got really good at compartmentalizing things, and that's what you kind of learn as an athlete. I think all of us learn to kind of push everything aside and deal with it later until it's too much for us to deal with. Totally. And it just bombards us. But, yeah, everything everything was super suppressed, and I would cry myself to sleep. I felt like I didn't really have anyone to talk to. And that's kind of when I got into writing, to kind of put it out there and communicate with myself and understand all my feelings at once. That allowed me to kind of escape. You just you started by journaling, and then that became poetry? Yeah, my junior year of high school was when poetry kind of came into my life, like, my, we studied it for a couple weeks in my English class and spoken word was just a way to articulate words with like minimal, minimal words and putting emotion behind it and being able to speak it in your own truth. So I found that like super releasing and I got away from it for a couple years, but over college or like during college, there was a girl in my class who was so good at it. And I was like, wait, I remember I used to write like poetry. <laughs> so she inspired me to get back into it. Wow, that's insane. Because the poet, the, uh, the poem you read at uh, the Makers Women Conference was so good. I can't believe you wrote that having taken like a break from poetry. I mean, look at you. You take a break from everything you do and you come back like the best in the field. It's insane. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask, which you might think is so elementary, but... I watch The Beam and I literally can't understand how you guys flip on that thing and land. I try to walk on like the sidewalk path and I, I can't even stay straight. And every time I watch that, I I cringe. Like when you guys are in the air, I'm like, stick the landing. I mean, are you thinking about, do you think about the possibility of making a mistake? I feel like gymnasts don't have that time. We do, but we don't allow ourselves to have that time. <laughs> so we've been doing it for a really long time, so it does become like second nature, but mistakes definitely come to play all the time. The thing that we can't allow ourselves to do is play small because that's when most injuries happen or falls happen. So going big and doing what we know how to do and what our bodies have been trained to do and just letting everything else take over is kind of how you get over a beam. And I, what does play, play small mean? Just not go for it, just stay reserved? Yeah, so whenever we do a skill, if you're like timid and yeah, not going mm-hmm. through, your, through the motions fully, then that's playing small. And you jump lower, you, there's more room for error for some reason. Wow, and have you always, I know the floor is your thing, have you, have you, do you like the beam? It's weird because floor is my thing now, but back in elite, I was known for beam. Like my start value was, I think at one point, like a seven one, which is the, the highest start value that there was by wow. like a, almost a point nearly. So I could like fall and still like destroy everyone on beam. <laughs> I so had sick. every skill in the book. And then my sophomore year too, I brought back my series that was, that I was kind of like known for. And I was the only one doing it in college. And I think at the time, no one even in, uh, on the national team was doing it. So, Have you ever had a skill that you were learning, whether in any aspect of the game, that 
I don't know, kind of got mental for you. I don't want to say like the yips, but I've had times where I feel like I can't pass a ball. (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel like every gymnast goes through that. And I was so fortunate to not until last year, I started getting really weird on beam and bars kind of. So like, I think I had a lot of stuff going around in my life that felt like they were falling apart. And it kind of started seeping into my gym. And so, but like in weird areas that you wouldn't expect and like put two and two together. But like, I had never been so afraid of beam. Really? Uh Uh-huh. And when I competed bars, I had never been more afraid to just compete. Like I would practice so normally, go on the bar or like salute during competition and just freak out in my head and not be able to do anything. Would you, like, are we crying, shaking, or just... <laughs> um, just competing horribly. I'm like, so I'm like the, so I'm, the anxiety <laughs> for me. <laughs> I'm, like, falling on bars, like, wow. at all season. And then beam was fine. I just had to change my series to, like, a way easier one that I wasn't competing before. Where you felt comfortable about it. I felt, yeah, exactly, yeah. But even then, you're still in your head. There's things you can do, I think, in all sports to, like, yeah, play small, play safe, um, did the, are- did the different arenas like ever get in your head? Cause sometimes we'll play with a different ball and I'll just be like, I can't pass this ball. Like and when I was younger and I wasn't able to like think about things in a better way, you know, I was just so anxious about anything being different. Sometimes the equipment, the equipment's like, Oh, like this one's bad or the bar in, um, altitude, the bars get so dry. Oh, like when you go so to you're like, Oh, I'm going to slip. And like, Oh, Utah too. Utah has really like high altitude and then floor gets hard because of that. So yeah. Wow. But it's nice because I feel like no matter what you might be going through, your coach seems like totally one of a kind. Yeah, she is. And she's definitely helped me a lot through kind of everything that I've gone through in my career. She's really good at rebuilding her student athletes and creating them as people before the athlete and it just allows us to thrive in like every aspect of our life that's so nice that's so rare I mean most coaches like 98 percent it's we're winning as long as we get there I don't care how we get there it's just pretty awesome that you have a coach like that and honestly I feel like looking back on everything you've been through it's like you deserve it like you deserve like one really great coach that genuinely cares about you as a human yeah I People always told me growing up that college gymnastics is the reward for everything we've been through prior to, and I never believed it until I got here, and I I don't even know if I believe every program could have made the impact that Miss Val has on me. That's awesome. And Like, she'll be at your wedding? Yeah. She's, like, my best friend for life. Like oh, she's, my God. She's the person that's in my corner. What was the moment you realized how special the connection was? It's so funny because people are always like, oh, like, I feel like people have it in their heads that we came or I got on the team and we are immediately like bonded. No, like our friendship had, we had to work on and like any relationship, like I got on and I was rebelling and she didn't understand why. Like when I told her that I didn't want to be great again, she was like, it was a slap in the face. Like I'm giving you 60,000 or we're paying $60,000 for your scholarship and you're giving us. 60% of what you're capable of doing. So that's not how it works. And so we kind of clashed a bit freshman year. And finally, she realized that I just needed someone to trust. 
to allow them to like build me and we started hanging out outside of gym and talking about everything but gymnastics and finally with time and work like we've come to where we've gotten where we are that's great. We often forget that our coaches are normal humans. Whenever I was scared of my one coach, I'd be like, he's someone's dad or he's cried before. I'm like, he likes watching movies too. Like, and I'd remind myself because you only see them in this one light. So you think they're, they're not human, you know, and they're superior in like some way. Exactly. So it's great to hang out with them outside of the, the gym and, and get to know them. I want to talk about where you're at now with your body and self-love because I think like me, you are at a place now where it seems like you know yourself and no one's perfect and we'll have days and we'll have moments, but overall we can be a friend to ourselves. How do you feel like you really got there? That's a question I get a lot and there's not an answer, right? Yeah. I feel like mine started really growing when I took ownership of myself. It's like, okay, I I don't like the way I look or like something like that and being able to change it in your mind because everything we feel like sometimes we don't have control over our mind when we definitely do everything starts with a thought and like what we how we choose to react to that so by telling myself that I am control of my thoughts and telling myself negative things isn't helping anything and at the end of the day we're the only ones that have control over ourselves and we're the only ones that are going to have ourselves why would we be stuck in our bodies hating it? And I'm not saying that I, that's not super easy to do, but it's like also just accepting things that you can't change or, I don't know, just really loving, embracing everything about your body. Like I used to hate my spots on my body. Like I have granuloma annular. And so it's all over and people are like, what's wrong with your skin all the time? And now if I have the choice to get rid of it, it's like, this is a part of me. Like, I right. love it. It's awesome. Yeah, when you fully embrace it, you wouldn't want it any other way. And that that same idea, I think, comes along with comparison, right? Like, before you didn't want it because people, other people don't have it. And when we stop comparing ourselves to other girls and how they look like, and we are just say, this is how I look like, and what does this give me? That's, I think, a big stepping stone to kind of turning the page. There's a philosopher and... A saying or a mortissois, I think it's a French philosopher, which means love without comparison. And then there's another word super similar to it, like a something, but it's like love through the how other people depict you, which is like a super unnatural form, is what he says at the end of it. Because a mortissois is the only real form of self love. How other people depict you? What no, no. Okay, so that's the unnatural form. But more to swallow without comparison to other people and having like the self-love fully be from inside. That's the only natural form of self-love. That's awesome. Where'd you learn that? Do you read? Uh, no, <laughs> no. So uh, my my boyfriend or my ex, he. <laughs> Ooh, spill the tea, girl. <laughs> Now's your chance. Mike in hand. <laughs> uh, my ex has a clothing line. And so he started, I think one of his lines is a mortisois. He used to read all the time, or he still does read all the time, but um, just looking up things, and that's how I kind of came across it too. That's so funny. But yeah, love love it. I love finding little snippets like that, and then it could be in a magazine, in the newspaper, something so simple, and it really sticks with you. And one of the, one of the quotes that I think really sticks with me is, happiness 
is not a place you arrive to. It's a state you cultivate. Mm. And I think as I analyze your career, as I put on my like glasses and I look at my mirror ball and I look at everything you've done, even watching your videos, just your expression and you can tell like you are much more fulfilled now competing than you used to be. Would you credit that to putting aside like medals don't matter, first place doesn't matter, I just want to do and feel the best me? And then along with just doing that, right, comes those things when we're not trying. So what kind of made you find your fulfillment and purpose and be able to compete at such a high level? Putting aside what other people want. You kind of, I hear so many people say like, oh, I'm doing it for this person. I'm doing it for that person, which I think to a degree we can. But if we're not doing it for ourselves, then there's no point. I don't know. Um, have you ever seen Billie Eilish's oh, interview where she was like, if you... Imagine if everyone dropped dead and you were stuck with all this stuff that you didn't even want in the first place. Like, what's the point of it all? And I just resonated with that so much because I'm like, yeah, I learned probably when I, yeah, when I was 16 years old that I will never be a people pleaser and I'm never doing anything for anyone again. I love her. Do you listen to the new album? I have not yet. I'm oh, still- dude, the minute I leave, you're probably like, get out of my house so I can <laughs> stream this album. It's so good. I mean, it's the kind where you're not, there's no skips. I mean, you just listen to the whole thing through. She's, talk about real. She's so real. Her, the first track on the album is 11 seconds of her, like, taking out her Invisalign. Oh my gosh. <laughs> She's so cute. She is so cute. She's a little scary though for me. Like her, I love her. I just mean like her artwork is scary. I used to have like terrible arachnophobia when I was little. Like I literally went to a therapist to get over my fear of spiders. And so she has that on some of her artwork and it's, I'm still, I got over it, but I'm still a little cringy. <laughs> and so I, it's like, I love her, but I'd be scared to like go to a concert. Cause I don't know what the graphics are going to be. Yeah, no, she, yeah. She goes crazy with like the ink in her eyes too. But I think it's so so interesting. We were just talking about her yesterday in the car, and one of my friends was like, she's not afraid to go there, though. And that's what's so So cool. true. Yeah. We love a girl that goes there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I... Okay, so I'm, like, creating the um, imagery portion of my poetry, and so I'm like, how much is too much? Because it's like, I want to depict all these things that are almost visually heavy to look at, but when does it become, like, a turnaway point right (laughs) totally know what you're saying and you can even put on not a disclaimer but like you could be known for artwork that is really really honest so honest it could be triggering it could be this or that but you have to do what feels best for you yeah sometimes when I go give my talks on like in eating disorders or on mental health there are some dark parts and I'll go and I'll say oh do you want to in the, before I come on stage, mention that we're going to be talking about this and this. And people are like, no, if anyone's coming to this, they know you're going to go there. Um, because almost with our generation, it has been very like, we don't want to hurt anyone and we want to keep everyone like protected and safe. That Right. It's also, it's so hard because I feel like it's almost like we want to do that so bad now that you can, now you can't say anything because people are so hypersensitive and you're just like okay this is not the goal this wasn't the goal either (laughs) are you on twitter um yeah i am twitter talk about like i'm so scared every time i do a tweet i look at every 10 times over and then i'm so scared because the minute you tweet something you're literally like tweeting a statement and i'm thinking about the millions of ways it could be picked apart i tweeted back at the ncaa about like the schedule yes yes (laughs) um and for the most part everyone was like yes like totally agree with you victoria 
but there were probably like 20 people over the course of like two weeks who said, if you don't like it, then don't do it. Be grateful for like, you know, this and this. And I'm just like, you don't, you're not listening. Yeah. People, (laughs) I think people love to just like disclaim. Okay. People like people that don't speak up about certain issues because there's no controversy Whereas, like, I'm on the polar opposite. Like, I love controversy. Like, let me get in it. Same. Because I love confronting people. (laughs) I'm so confrontational. If anything needs to be discussed, we're discussing it. Yeah. The the elephant's on my lap. It's not just in the room. But people also don't like trying to understand before they start talking. And the way NCAA portrays things is one-sided and, like, everything is a rainbow. And so that's what people think about student-athletes. I hear so many negative comments about us constantly at my school that it's like... About the gymnasts? No, just about student-athletes in general. And it's, They think because we get the gear, that compensates for like our mental health issues. No amount of gear can make up for what I'm going through. Yeah. How about the fact that we train for 20 hours a week and have a full load of work and like all this stuff? It's like, oh, they're a student-athlete. They don't care about school. Yet I'm still sitting in the same class as you. So... Yeah. I don't get why there's so much judgment. Totally. I know what you're saying. And I read, and then some of the people would come back and say, you know, were you a student athlete? Otherwise, you really don't understand. Yeah. Um, And the thing is, I'm not saying let's change the schedule. I'm just saying if this is going to be the schedule, make sure every single NCAA athlete gets resources to manage that schedule. Because I was just at Denison University and their student athletes cannot access psychologists in the way that student athletes should um, just because there's not enough and there's not enough time yeah and that's the stuff that needs the changing that's why we need to speak up it was yeah. dope to see so many people rebel against that video I mean it ended up being like promotion against the NCAA and they had started it <laughs> wait you're oh my gosh that's so cool wait what I, I, that's so dope oh Oh, are you just, did you know, do you know the tweet? No. They tweeted like a day in the life of a student athlete. In the, in the. You haven't seen the video? I don't think so. Oh my gosh. It's a day in the life of a student athlete and it's a minute and it's this guy that I allegedly is an actor. Not, they didn't even use one of us. They hired someone. Allegedly. I don't know if that's true or not. Don't attack me. Um, (laughs) And. It was just, like, comical. Everyone was retweeting it saying this is not at all a day in the life of a student-athlete. They're like, this might have been a day in the life of, like, eighth grade. Um, (laughs) And so then everyone was tweeting back uh, what a real life is. And I tweeted back, like, a segment from my TED Talk, which ended up people retweeted and were like, yeah, this is true. But other people were like, oh, shut up. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, typical. I need to give you a hug. (laughs) Yes. All right. On that full circle come around, um, I just want to say it's been so great having you here. I'm so happy we met. I feel like I've known you or something. We just, we hit it off. Yeah, no, I'm so glad we finally got to meet up. I know. You're such a big star, too. So, you know, don't forget us little people here at RealPod when you continue glowing. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode just as much as I did sitting down with Caitlin. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Hashtag RealPod. I have so many great episodes coming to you every Tuesday right here. So if you enjoyed this, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify and give us a follow on Instagram. The username is RealPod. Make sure to come back next Tuesday for more.